2: in three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister I brought it to the department, nobody is listening Can we just talk Call 0818 96 96 96.
1: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96.
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie This
1: is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
2: on Cork's
3: 96FM. Good morning and welcome to Thursday's opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. Fiona Corker, and sitting in for PJ Coogan today. Well, it seems like Cork avoided the worst of Storm Dudley, but we're not out of the woods yet as Storm Eunice is due to hit us tonight and will continue into 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, there is an orange wind warning for Cork, which is expected to bring some damage to the city and county, and we're hoping to touch base with Met Aaron um, shortly to find out what exactly is in store for cork later so stay tuned for that uh, coming up also on the show uh, we'll be looking at the boil water notice that's been affecting nine and a half thousand people in the whitegate area of cork since december 2021 i'll also be speaking to a female bodybuilder about the benefits this can have on a person's fitness and well-being and we'll be finding out about why 3g family holidays are all the rage and if you want to contact us about anything we're discussing on the show you can contact us on oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six or the text of whatsapp o eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six or you can email us at opinion at ninety six f m dot i e now yesterday morning p j was speaking to cork comedian Kyla who is living in Barcelona. And she recounted a story that happened to her the other night when she was walking home and she was followed by a man and she filmed the whole incident and she was very spooked about it and she said that thankfully a man who was sleeping rough close to where she lives um, intervened and helped her in that situation and she was saying to PJ yesterday that only for him she doesn't know what would have happened and you know emphasised how important it is for people to, to stand up and intervene if they notice anything and after that we were in contact with another Cork woman called Sharon who spoke to me about an incident that happened to her right here in the city centre. Sharon just tell me a little bit about what happened to you the other night
4: So it was about half six yesterday evening and I was just walking home from work and I was walking to the train station and as I was going I crossed the road and there's a little alleyway like a little shortcut to the train station. I was in is front this of the that train station
3: in, in town, in Kent Station? Yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry, go on ahead.
4: And I wasn't walking down the lane, but I was in front of the lane because so I was going around the road that way. Hmm. And um, I saw a man, kind of, I heard someone talking to me, so I looked to my left because I had my earphones in. And he came from the other side of the road by where the omniplex is. And he, like, ran in front of the cars. The cars were still driving. He ran in front of the cars and he started shouting at me. He started being like, hey, girl, come here, you, hey, come here. And he said something else, but I actually didn't hear what he said. But he was coming towards me, like, straight towards me, like, running. Mm. And I kept walking. I didn't look in his direction. And he only stopped, like, he got behind me on the lane. And he was following me, but he only stopped because someone beeped their horn. And then while I kept walking, I think the person in the car that beeped the horn started shouting at him and arguing with him. And that's how I just kept walking then after that and put my head down.
3: And this was half six in the evening, you say? Yeah. And how did you feel after that happened?
4: Terrified. I felt like I wasn't safe walking to the train station. Like, I get the train every day to and from work. And I felt like now I
3: can't even do that. And I mean, like, that's city centre. There's a lot of people around. It's the evening yeah. time. You would imagine that you would be okay? There were a lot of people on the street at the same time. I wasn't alone. I mean, you say that this is a route that you take all the time. Um, you know, are you afraid now to do that? Are you afraid to get the train in the evening?
4: Yeah, I am now. I was a bit wary with going in the night time anyway, but I haven't had any issues. But now since then, I'm kind of thinking twice and I don't, I don't want to get the train when it's dark outside now.
3: PJ was speaking to uh, Kyla. She's from Cork. She lives over in Barcelona. And she was recounting an incident where the other night she was walking home and a man, she says, followed her and that another man intervened and, and saved her. And do you have a message for people that, you know, this that, that if, if they see anything like this happening, that they should intervene where best they can?
4: I think if you see something like that happen, I feel like you should get involved and try to stop it. But at the same time, I feel like when it's men attacking women, they'll only listen to men. Mm. So if it's another woman coming along, I feel like that woman is only putting herself in just the same amount of danger. I feel like just being vigilant and being wary is the only thing we can really do now at the minute.
3: Do you think that there's been so much attention in the media over the last couple of weeks about this that more and more people are coming out and speaking out? Or do you think that these kind of incidents have been happening more in recent months?
4: I think these incidents have always been happening, but they just weren't getting any attention. I feel like the incident that happened with uh, the girl that was murdered, Mm. that, that people started pairings in, but I feel like now that since that happened that's why it's getting noticed and that's why we're getting listened to but I think when this dies down a small bit the attention will be gone from this again and people will just turn a blind eye again because that's what's always been happening.
3: That must make you really angry though because you know if you can't even walk home from work to get the train um, at half six in the evening walking through the city centre like what can you do? Nothing. There's nothing we can
4: do without having to be careful and like it's just I think I've been talking to like my friends that I have and things and mm-hmm. even girls in work we have to ring each other when we're walking home most of the time since <laughs> we alone are in a group we look back constantly just to check and we pretend to be on our phones and stop and let them pass us
3: And Sharon, like I know you're okay now, you said that you're you're fine you were just a little bit shaken by what happened but you are okay now
4: I'm I'm good, but I'm angry.
3: Mm. What do you think it's going to take to bring about a change? Because, you know, we are talking about it all the time. And anytime we talk about it on the radio, we always get messages in saying, oh, yeah, another man bashing episode by the media. And that's not what we're doing. It's just trying to highlight what is actually happening out there. And, yeah. you know, we're not saying that all men are bad.
4: I feel like myself that it kind of starts that from a young age. Even in school, they're saying boys will be boys or they get away with small things. And I feel like small things like that makes them go on to think, oh, they can go into the nightclubs and they can get away with touching us and they get away with this and then they get away with other things. Mm. So it just progresses from a young age. So I feel like the only way that it's going to change is if they stop the mindset of if girls have got more careful if they walk in groups or if they change the way they dress etc if they start supporting boys and men that this isn't right that speaking about girls that way and the mindset they have towards us mm. needs to change it, like we need to stop being blamed no matter what we do it has to be the blame has to be put on mm. and I'm not saying it's all men or all boys because it's not but I think the
2: blame has to be stopped being put
3: solely on the women. Yeah. Okay, listen, thank you so much for sharing your story and your experience with us. I'm glad you're okay and, uh, you know, hopefully by speaking out, uh, you know, it, it will help to bring about some sort of change. Hopefully, anyway and about speaking out uh, change is urgently needed in attitudes towards women and it's no longer acceptable for any of us to stand silent and that is why Corks 96 FM and the Irish Sun has launched a campaign asking you to call out unacceptable words or actions which show disrespect to women as in the case of what that gentleman um, did with Sandra there it's only when we all act together that we can make a meaningful change So, so please join us here at Corks 96 FM and call this out now just before the break I was talking to Sandra about an incident that happened to her in the city centre when she was followed and she said that um, a man did intervene and help her out and a caller has been in touch to say it's hard to react 100% but try and ring the guards on nine 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 one one two if that happens and say you're being followed. It will help deter the individual and make the streets safer for the next woman. Always try and have the emergency function lined up and ready on your phone an iPhone Android system function. Anybody else wants to get in touch with us on this or any issues that we're talking about on the show 0818 96 96 96, or you can text or WhatsApp 0833969696. Now I said at the start of the show that we had avoided the worst of the damage from Storm Dudley but we're not out of the woods yet as Storm Eunice is due to hit us tonight and there is an orange weather warning in place for Cork an orange wind warning that's going to come into effect later on tonight Joining me now is Bonnie from MetAaron Good morning Bonnie Good morning, Fiona. Bonnie, what exactly is in store for us here in Cork later?
5: So Fiona, you mentioned Storm Dudley yesterday. That brought strong winds to across all of Ireland, but particularly strong across western parts. What we're seeing with Storm Eunice is is a totally different story. It's it's, it's a different beast altogether, so to speak. Mm. We've got um, very strong uh, damaging winds arriving later tonight and in the early hours of, of tomorrow morning. And along with the very strong winds, we're also seeing spells of, of heavy rain and, and snow. And those multiple weather hazards are were going to lead some really tricky conditions tomorrow morning
3: and to hear for cork i know that there was talk that the wind warning may be upgraded to a red in some areas can we expect that here in cork or is it too early to tell at the minute so
5: as you mentioned we there's an orange warning wind warning in place uh, for cork kerry and some some western coastal counties there is a, this this the position. The, there is quite a bit of uncertainty still regarding the exact track of this storm, um, and with that, there is every possibility that the warnings may change in the coming hours. So I would advise uh, your listeners to keep a, a very close eye on the weather warnings from erin. As I said, there is an orange wind warning in place at the moment, and that's for we can expect severe and damaging wind gusts of around 130 kilometers an hour um along with that we have high tides at the moment and high tides in combination with these very strong winds can create uh, uh, can lead to a risk of, of coastal flooding and really quite stormy conditions so um you know keep a close eye as, as warnings may change and be be upgraded uh and you know we, we're, we're expecting a pretty nasty nasty day tomorrow particularly you know in the, in I suppose around dawn and and, and through the the late morning but you know pretty much rush our time.
3: So, anyone who may be driving to work early tomorrow morning should be on the lookout for fallen debris, fallen trees, fallen power lines—that that kind of damage.
5: Very, very much. So, um, there there is a, a you know a real risk to life in these kind of situations. So, you might might wish to reconsider your your journeys if that's possible. Mm. Um, you know, with with fallen trees, it, it, it's impossible to predict, um, but they can unfortunately end in in really tragic circumstances, so be alert. If you need to make preparations today, 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 to do that, um, and and just you know keep a close eye on on our warnings, and and listen also to the advice from your local councils as well.
3: Bonnie, the last time we had the storm Barra here in Cork, um, the city was largely unaffected. There was like you know a bit of fallen debris around the roads, but there was a lot of damage caused to the coastal areas in the county. Um, is that likely to happen again this time around, or are we expecting it to be uh, affecting the? whole Whole entire city and
5: county. So at the moment, with this type of weather situation, it, coastal areas generally can can bear the brunt of the of the storm force winds. But it does look like the the very strong winds will extend inland. Uh, you know, beyond Cork, further north. So you know, even in the city areas, we can expect to see some some damage and disruption tomorrow morning too.
3: I suppose the time that this starts and ends will be important for people as well. It's Is it due to kick in around 1am?
5: So our general yellow wind warning for across Ireland kicks in at one, 1 o'clock tomorrow morning. Yes, that's correct. But then we've got our orange wind warnings in place um, from 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. And that's when we're going to really see those very strong and damaging winds increase. Mm. That warning is out till 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. Um, so that, that's kind of the period at the moment where we, where we expect those, strong, those, those winds to be strongest and most damaging. But like I said, things can change. So do keep a, a close eye on, on the warnings. Also, there is also a risk of, of, of snow or a chance of, of snow as well Snow is, is incredibly hard to, to forecast in yeah. these kind of circumstances. I would say that there is a chance of, of seeing snow pretty much anywhere. But at the moment, it looks like the northern half of, of Ireland is most likely to see um the the most ter- snow in terms of significant or the most in terms of, you know, lying snow yeah. um.
3: And Bonnie, a lot of parents will be wondering: Will there be school tomorrow? Um, I suppose, like um, with the wet, with a red warning, there is usually an automatic closure of schools. But we don't know at this stage, do we? Uh,
5: at this stage, the, you know, the, the, I would advise parents to to keep in touch with their local councils. Mm. Hello,
3: have we lost Bonnie?
5: Schools, the principals, to get advice from them. Ultimately, it is the decision of of, of the schools and councils and the Department of education mm-hmm. uh, And we, are are guiding them through today with with the latest information. Okay. Just be mindful that this is a a fast moving and dynamic situation, so decisions can be made, you know, at, at any point today or 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 this evening. Um. So just if if you do have children and and the, they're planning to go to school tomorrow, just keep a an extra close eye on the news and um and and in touch with the, with the the school themselves.
3: Finally, Bonnie, obviously tomorrow it's Friday. A lot of people take to the roads or they may take a flight somewhere tomorrow for the weekend. What kind of travel arrangements or advisements are in place at the minute?
5: so with the, with the strength of the winds, uh, particularly across the southern half of the country and you know the, the the stormy sea conditions, we can expect to see some travel disruption um and you know even on the roads with with like I said, fallen trees and and, and blizzard type conditions, we can expect to see some really tricky driving conditions also. So be prepared for delays, cancellations um and and, and hazardous conditions if you are making journeys tomorrow.
3: Okay, brilliant. Thank you, Bonnie. That was Bonnie from Metair and joining us with the latest on that. I think the advice for everyone is to just stay tuned to your local radio stations, take a look at the Cork City and County websites. Their uh, teams will be meeting across the day, no doubt, and they will keep us advised on what's happening. And with regards to schools, I suppose we we'll just have to keep an eye on the Department of Education website and any notifications that we get from the schools. So thanks for that, Bonnie. And just a reminder that we will be playing the Cash Cow giveaway later. I don't know how people's nerves hold up for that game. I wouldn't be able for it myself. But uh, you can take on the Cork's 96FM Cash Cow to win Mega Moolah. Get the morning password with Casey and Ross from 6 a.m. Then listen across the day for your chance to play the Corks 96 FM Cash Cow with Maham Point. Catch a movie, explore over 60 stores, shop till the cows come home on Thursday and Friday. See Point S C dot IE. And listen every day only on Corks 96 FM. And as I said, we will be playing that later on in the show. Now, earlier this week, we were speaking to Susan, who's a parent who had her child enrolled for the early intervention class at Kilbritton National School. And she was outraged to hear that the NCSE um, were planning to uh, close the class. And we did manage to get a response from the NSCE. And they said that um, the early intervention class in Kilbritton opened in September 2020 to meet the needs of six children with autism and ASD. The school in conjunction with the NSCE, the NCSE agreed that while the class would open as an early intervention ASD class, it would redesignate as a primary ASD class in September 2022 to meet the projected demand for places in the area. Now, um, Karen is the principal of Kilbritton National School. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. Karen, um, you take issue with what the NCSE said in that um, statement, in the fact that they said that it would be redesignated as a primary ASD class in September 2022.
6: Um, Yes, I suppose, um, obviously we applied in 2019 to have an early intervention class added to our school. Uh, We currently are a mainstream school with special classes, so we have two additional classes uh, for children um, in primary school aged between 5 and 12. We wanted to add um, a preschool class to that. And in that discussion, um, you know, it was said that we would just be opening that class. And indeed, the Board of Management put a lot of um, money to facilitating the opening of that class through fundraising, etc. So we were not of the opinion at that point when we opened that this would be redesignated. Now, that conversation did come up last year and it was in relation to the six children that were enrolled with us that would be moving on to a primary level. And at that point, it was established that there would not be sufficient places for them in the locality. So we did agree at that point to open another class. And I have the sanction letter in front of me and it, it allowed us to open a third class attached to our primary school but at the end of the letter it says Unfortunately, the NCSE are unable to sanction early intervention ASD for September 22, as there is now provision in the community for preschool children with special educational needs, e.g. free ECCE preschool with AIM support program and other community preschool schemes. So we were very disappointed at that point to learn that our early intervention would in fact close. Mm. Um, so what we aim to do is to, you know, provide Um, an education for all of the children in the community Um, and we're very happy that I suppose we now have the ability to offer places in our special class to those that are currently in our early intervention class and they will be able to continue to come to us uh, for their primary school education but uh, the problem with that is that now they have effectively discontinued our early, edu- our early intervention class um, which will have far-reaching consequences not only for the children currently on our waiting list and their families but indeed for the school in time so you know uh, we would uh, appreciate keeping our early intervention class open as it has been hugely successful to date
3: And you have got children enrolled for that intervention class, that early intervention class in September.
6: We have indeed. And, um, you know, it's very uh, different, I suppose, with preschool children because now is the time of the year when those children are, you know, going through the the diagnostic process. So they're only just being diagnosed. We're talking about children who are two and a half, three and a half. They're only being diagnosed right now. So uh, yes, we have three children on our waiting list. Uh, out of six, but we would expect more children to, you know, get their diagnosis in the coming months. And in fact, uh, the the local psychologists have been in touch with us and they indeed wrote to the NCSE just before Christmas stating that they were in the process of diagnosing many children in the area with um, ASD and that indeed that they would need and require early intervention places um, for the coming year.
3: So Karen, the NSE, the NCSE statement said basically that this was the agreed plan for the school um, back in 2020, but your understanding of it was, was different than that, that your understanding was that this early intervention class was to continue?
6: Yes, absolutely. Uh, that was our understanding from the outset, and I suppose that is why our board of management, who were you know extremely supportive of the programme, you know invested so much money in putting in a specific playground for um, preschool children. Uh, we indeed you know underwent a lot of training in the area. Uh, we added uh, our playground, but also other resources and sensory equipment and toys, etc., to cater for preschool aged children. Now, as I said, the conversation did indeed come. Last year, and I wrote to the NCSE to our local um, special educational needs um, organisers saying that while we would be in a position to take on an extra class that we needed to keep our early intervention class also. And I outlined, you know, how successful it had been um, and indeed how much we had invested into it. But that is when uh, this debate opened um, and we only recently found out that it is definitely going ahead now that we will be opening one class or we will be closing our early intervention class.
3: And have you contacted the NCSE since this all came about?
6: Um, Yes, we have. I have spoken, I suppose, uh, last week with Arsino, who just confirmed that uh, the closure would be going ahead. Um, and uh, you know we've now turned, I suppose, to our attention to, you know, public representatives, etc., in order to help us maintain this facility in our area.
3: Yeah, I think I saw Christopher O'Sullivan TD bringing it up in the doll yesterday and getting support from the T Shock, um, and he had pointed out about the importance of having early intervention classes in communities. And I'll bring in Avril Sheehan there. She's Care a Lot Childcare Services. Avril, um, you've also been calling and, and highlighting the importance of having early intervention classes right across the country.
7: Absolutely, Fiona. It's of utmost importance. Like with myself, um, I'm obviously a childcare centre, full day care. And if we have a child within our service, you know, from, we say, 10 and a half months onwards, we are aware that there may be something wrong or they might be on the spectrum. And we can put in place, you know, aim support to help us when they, once they go into preschool. But if we have a child coming in our doors, going into pre- preschool that we don't know, we obviously have to get to know that child and their personality and maybe something that would not just be clicking right and we we'll just go for AIM support. But it's a process. Mm. So it would take five weeks for that AIM support coordinator to come back to us, a lot of form-filling and all the rest of it. So really, you wouldn't be awarded the hours or whichever strand you actually apply for until well in the new year. So you're losing valuable time there in supporting that child within our service. In, in our preschool to make them you know included within the preschool setting. So then you have to obviously advertise for an in support worker and then we go back to you know co funding or funding for that in support worker, we're given fourteen euro for that employee. Now there's such a shortage thin of staff we can't get the staff to support. So you're actually losing a good maybe thirty weeks of support for that child within your service. That's not good enough. You know, the child's rights here are being breached as such. You know, they should have the choice uh, of what preschool they need to go to and where Mm. the supports are there to support them. With Karen below in her school, I think her ratio is six children to three support workers. While here, we have one to 11 and you get your own support worker who's there to scaffold that child. So a child that's with um, additional needs but is highly functioning will do very well within our preschool service. A child with complex needs we're going to struggle to support them and to have an inclusive environment for that child within our service
3: and that's being dead honest. So what's your reaction to the response to the NCSE's response to what's been happening at Kilbritton National School?
7: I think it's terrible. I think it's a service that's going to be lost and um, it's a valuable service for the community. You know, it prepares the child best for going into their primary school and if that child is carrying in or carrying on within that primary school. It's an amazing service that Carnot is, is doing there and the money that they're actually pumping into it as well you know what I mean with the playgrounds and all these sensory equipment and toys, they all come at a cost that has to be raised by the community or by the board of management you know with fundraising so it's just a terrible pity to see that service go.
3: And I mean, like you pointed out the benefits that these early intervention units have for children. And indeed, when we were speaking about this the other day, we took a call there from a lady who said that, you know, um, the early intervention is so important. It's so important to get the children when they're in preschool age. Absolutely. It's vital. It's absolutely vital. The
7: sooner you intervene and get the help for that child, the better outcome for that child is to function within society and just personal hygiene and care and moving forward and being included in, we say, the normal preschool or the normal primary school structure. Yes, so it's very important.
3: Yeah, um, and Kate has just called in here to the opinion line on oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six to say, unfortunately, you have to keep on making noise and pressing the case on media and politicians, and that's the only way. Is it the only way? Is that that it? You know, I, I know we do take a lot of calls here on the show from parents, but it just seems like parents already have, you know, just such a struggle without having to contact the media to try and keep places like this open. Absolutely, I'm actually heartbroken
6: for parents they're at the most vulnerable stage um, you know pre-diagnosis when they've been maybe noticing developmental delays in their child Mm. they've had to go about trying to acquire assessment, they're probably paying privately for speech and language or occupational therapy and uh, then they don't even have the security of knowing that their child will have an appropriate preschool or primary school place so it's just a very very vulnerable stage for those parents and they seem to have to fight at every level for every basic service, you know,
2: oh, no.
6: it's and uh, you know, I find I find it very difficult. These are, you know, I suppose uh, the difference between the aims, the access and inclusion model, and the early intervention model is that we would be trying to cater for the children with the highest level of need, and um, you know, I think the aims model is absolutely excellent. As Avril said, there, you know, for children who require scaffolding or limited support but when you come to a child who has severe communication needs who has speech and language who has occupational maybe behavioral sensory etc they they require you know a very different service they require a much smaller ratio they require you know specialist um centers and teachers who have specific training and indeed you know uh, different resources you know so that's why that both models need to be in place uh, for
3: different children with needs. Indeed, we will see where this goes. Thank you very much for joining me on the opinion line this morning. That was Karen O'Donovan, who's the school principal of uh, Kilbritton National School, and Avril Sheehan of Kerala Childcare Services. Welcome back. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on this Thursday morning. Now, um, since we mentioned the whole passport delay um a couple of weeks ago, we've been inundated with calls from people um who've had issues with getting a passport and getting their passports renewed and in particular getting a passport for their child. Goodwin, you contacted the opinion line yesterday. Good morning.
8: Good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How are you?
3: I'm very well. Thank you. Goodwin, you or your child, your son turned one on the 8th of January and you applied for a passport last year and you're still waiting. What's been going on?
8: Um, Yes, I did. Um, It's been a nightmare. Mm. Um, We applied, myself and my partner, we applied since um, February last year, just after I turned one month, and then there was still. restrictions you know so yeah. they asked us not to send the supporting documents and we waited so we got an email after the restriction was lifted that we can send the documents so we did and uh, we got an email saying that um, by June it should be ready okay we waited in July we got an email from the department you know from passports asking for additional supporting documents and um, they were asking for stamps on my partner's passport and um, it was strange so we took it to the local immigration officer here and he was like this is not right. Um, Can I just stop you there, what
3: kind of additional documents were they looking for?
8: Yeah, they were looking for the stamps on our passport Mm. and they were asking for the letter she received when she first applied for subsidiary protection. I mean, my um, my partner is someone that was granted a subsidiary protection, which is like a refugee status. Right. You know? And um, I brought this letter to. And she was granted that university. six years ago, was she? Yes, she yeah, was granted okay. six years ago. And by law, you only have to have resided or to have residency in Ireland for three years before you can apply for a passport. Mm-hmm. Uh, for your child. Okay. You know, we took this to the immigration officer and he said they have what they are what they are asking for. They have it. And on the website of the of the passport office, the DFA, you have all they need is your original travel document, the letter for the Department of Justice confirming that you have been granted refugee status or subsidiary protection and your Irish residency permit card, which we gave them. But as they still came back again. We submitted everything. They came back again in October. They we're asking for a letter again that we received in 2018 that the stamp or the residency she was giving was for three years that she's supposed to have received another letter in 2018. I went to the immigration officer in my local, uh, I don't, in, my, in my town and he was like, they don't know what they are doing. He gave me, he said, look, I'm willing to take any call. Give them my name and the number, let them call. And what I then do, I said, okay, let's not say that we're doing something wrong. I wrote a letter to the Minister of Justice mm. to ask if there was a letter that we were supposed to receive from them in 2018. Just because it has been the delay has been going on for too long, and this was in uh, October. So I got an email back from the Minister of Justice. If I can just read it to you, he mm-hmm. um, said. When your subsidiary protection was granted, you would have received a letter at your permission granted. In that letter, it would also have included that your permission is renewable, i.e. you would not need another letter in order to be granted a further renewal of your permission. This will mean that there is no requirement for a 2018 letter, as your permission would have been renewed on this basis of the content of that letter in 2015, granting you subsidiary protection. And this letter can be relied on for the purpose of making an application for a passport. You see?
3: So, Goodwin, you said that this was a nightmare. And it is. I mean, like, you've been waiting now a year for a passport for your son. You still haven't got it. And you wanted to go back to Nigeria for your father's anniversary. I
8: I can't. It's this Saturday. It's this Saturday. It's this Saturday, February February, uh, 19th. I can't. All my brothers and sisters are all going back. I can't. For, so how does that make you like, feel? it's 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 um it's painful. it's sad. Mm. it's social. It's sure. and it's not it's a lot of people that are going through this kind of pains and um and uh, frustration because a lot of people, I think the the biggest problem is not just employing people to the passport office. You should train them. They should be trained. They should have an idea, you know of mm. people who are born outside the EU the requirements, what they need. I applied for my... I have a child, a daughter that is an Irish citizen. I applied, that was three years ago. And I had then, I only had three years residency and she got a passport under two months. This was in
9: 2018,
8: mm. you know? So right now, a lot, a lot of people who are working there, they don't know, they don't, they're not They are not trained properly. That is the delay and the frustration, the pain that are causing a lot of families. If you go to Facebook, you'll see people complaining to, trying to apply for their child and the delay is everything is blamed on, on 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 covid we are living with covid for over one year now you know they should know how to deal with those things um have you reached call, out
3: to any of the local tds here in cork
8: i have i have reached out to my local td um yes he, has, he he's, um he has sent a letter i'm still waiting to hear back from him mm-hmm. he has written a letter to the uh, minister of justice And he was surprised as well because I I forwarded all my correspondence and and he may have received from them. And every time you try to get across to them on the the passport office is a nightmare to get across. And when you do get across, they are very rude. Yeah, you know, they just keep. And I suppose even
3: if you get the passport sorted now, it's probably too late to even make it to your father's anniversary because you wouldn't have flights organized or
8: anything. Yeah, it's too late, but. I, I I still have my mom, you know. My mom wants to meet her grandchild. I want, you know, to bring him home. Mm. I've been planning to... Die. I postponed in October. I postponed in December. Uh, my younger one got married. I could not... I I want to bring my child home. It's not too much to ask. It's just everything they want, they have it. Yeah. The minister has just confirmed that. I even went to the the naturalization checker, the high-risk residency calculator. You know, I put her name, I put the number of stamps she has, and it showed on the website there that she has over five years residency. And I printed that out, and I sent it to them as well, together with the letter I got from the Minister of Justice, from the private secretary, I don't want to mention Mm him. I put everything together, sent to them. And still, it's still on processing. The due date they gave us was in December 15th. Mm. You know, it's over two months. And when you call, they will just bang the phone and say, it's unprocessing. There's nothing we can do. It's it's, it's 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 a torture.
3: And as you said, you know, there is a Facebook page with loads of people commenting. And, you know, as I said at the start there, we've had lots of stories here on the opinion yeah. line from people who've yeah. been trying. So it's not just, you know, that your case fell through the cracks or something. This seems to yeah. be an ongoing yeah. issue for so many people.
8: Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's um, The thing is, Training is very important in employment. You have to train people because there are different scenarios, you know. For we that are born outside the EU, you know, we are granted different type of permissions, you know. So Mm. these people should be trained. What they are asking, they have it in front of them. The old documents they require, they have it. And yet they are still asking. Imagine me, I had to contact the Minister of Justice to say, am I supposed to get an extra, are we supposed to get an extra letter? And they are saying no. That the, that the letter you receive in 2015 can be relied upon for making an application for a passport. And I'm still being delayed, yeah. you know? Right now, the, GNI, the GNIB card is with them. The, the the GNIB card that's for over three years residency is with them. The current GNIB card is with them. I, the, my partner, um, Irish travel document is with them. And it has, it has even expired. And it's still with them. She cannot travel. Um, the job she got, she could not have sent them proof of her residency, you know, mm. because they have a GNIB card.
3: Goodwin, if there's anybody listening who can help you this morning, if any of our local TDs are listening to the opinion line this morning, what would you
8: like to say to them? Um, please, uh, anything you can do will be greatly appreciated. Um, it's It's been a nightmare, it's a torture, it's a pain and I just want it to be sorted. If if they can get in contact, I will be greatly, I will be happy. Mm.
3: Okay, listen, hopefully you'll get it sorted. And if it does get sorted, you might contact us and let us know, best yes. of luck with you. it all. Okay, that's Goodwin, whose child turned one on the 8th of January this year. He made an application for a passport in February last year, and he's still waiting. Have you been infected by the passport application crisis? Let us know, 0818969696 or 083 Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96.
1: Text or WhatsApp 0833969696
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie
1: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
2: On Cork's 96FM
3: Welcome back, Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on this Thursday morning. Now we were speaking to Bonnie from MetAaron earlier about um, Storm Eunice which is due to hit tonight and I asked her about travel and I see the Cork airport are um, putting out on social media to say departing passengers and those meeting arriving passengers on Friday should allow extra time for journeys due to the storm forecasted to bring strong winds, damaging gusts, heavy rain, sleet and possibly snow with disruption likely until three in the afternoon so that's just one to bear in mind also I was speaking there to um, Karen about the closure of the early intervention class at Kilbriton National School and I was also talking to Avril Sheehan about the AIMS program Rita has been in touch to say sorry for the long message, this is on the AIMS support thing, it does not replace early intervention classes in schools one of the best places to have early intervention classes are in schools in my opinion and we have never received AIMS support from my daughter or son when they needed it. So personally I don't think that AIMS is doing what it's supposed to for kids that are diagnosed earlier than three. With regards to people being followed, I was speaking earlier to Sharon in the show and Maria has been in touch to say, I wonder if this all has increased, gotten worse because of the pandemic and lockdowns and now predators, sex abusers, etc. have their heads worse than before and act more frequently. If you want to get in touch with us about these issues or anything else it's 0818 96 96 96 or oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. and just to let you know that the cash cow uh, will be played in this hour so don't go anywhere for the minute uh, we'll be hoping to play that in the next half an hour or so now um, I said earlier that we would be speaking to um, a female bodybuilder about um, her extreme hobby of professional weightlifting good morning Niamh
10: Hi Fiona, how are you?
3: I'm very well, Neil. <laughs> First of all, what got like why why did you get into female bodybuilding? Because it's not something <laughs> that you would normally associate w- with women, really, is it? <laughs>
10: Um, I suppose that's probably something that, like, you know, that was definitely perception in the past. Um, but I think that, like, definitely over the last couple of years since I started, anyway, it's um, it's definitely been like a grow a growing sport um, over- in Ireland over the last few years. So, yeah, I suppose. Um, I suppose I'll start with the prefix that I've always been kind of a competitive person. Like, right. uh, like the, the concept of a fun run was never fun to me in school. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? I was like, you know, t- t- took it very seriously. But um, yeah. yeah, I. suppose about six years ago um i had kind of been doing um i was i was working as a journalist in walford um and i had been doing like running and triathlons and stuff at home um but i actually moved to dublin then for work um yeah about six years ago and was living around the corner from a 24-hour gym and as you can imagine like country girl in the city i was like what is this (laughs) 24-hour gym but um yeah so like I could go anytime I wanted so yeah. um yeah I started go I kind of started going more regularly and I suppose like anyone that kind of like I was always kind of tipping around in the gym but never really too seriously I didn't know what I was at I just did exercises I knew how to do you know yeah. <laughs> um but I suppose with that then I kind of like I kind of st- like I've been kind of like I had seen I had seen girls um you know and I had, I had heard of it and everything I was really fascinated by it but I was kind of humming and hawing about it for ages. And I was like, I don't think I'd be able for the diet. I don't think I'd be able to make those sacrifices to my lifestyle. But I just like, I just said, you know what? You'll never know unless you try. So, um, yeah I kind of I just said you know what I'll go for it and I went, I went about getting a coach in May of 2016 and I actually got on stage in that September and October so yeah it was kind of once I made the decision then I just went for it and
3: so I mean like obviously you were doing weights in in the gym and then you yeah. um, got into professional like why did you go professional is that just because of your competitive well, edge and your competitive well, nature
9: well,
10: well, well so I'd love to be professional but I'm actually not professional and I'm still amateur
9: <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah,
10: yeah, yeah. I suppose they're like, um, yeah, they like whichever one the goal is and, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I suppose you know, there's a there's a big difference. I suppose between um, you know, like someone that does kind of bodybuilding training for from a lifestyle perspective, which is very popular in Ireland now, and then from a competitive perspective, obviously things get a little bit more serious. Um, you know, like I, like there's no there's no real difference in the training. I suppose I think mm-hmm. that like you know maybe the training intensity if you're training competitively is a little bit more serious. You know. Like your programming is very intent and specialized and stuff, but mm. um, I suppose the biggest thing that will determine, like you know, what will determine for competitive bodybuilding, I suppose the ultimate goal is to get as lean as possible, but also maintain muscle mass as well, and then fit the category that you're competing in as well. So it's really diet and cardio that will kind of assist you with your weight training to kind of, I suppose, that's the kind of difference. With and I suppose food is probably 80% of what will determine like what is the big difference between competitive and lifestyle um, kind of bodybuilding training
3: And Niamh how much of this um, takes up, how much of your day is taken up with this because you do have, (laughs) you you work with uh, Hopkins PR in Cork
10: here don't you? I do i speak in a few plates. <laughs> <laughs> so
3: you have a full-time job and you have this as well yeah
10: of course okay yeah um yeah and like and i suppose and that's always been the case and i'd say that for the majority of people that do it that is that's the case as well and um you know i suppose it's one of the things that i think that it's kind of taught me i suppose is to give like to give myself like a very fairly regimented routine and structure in my life because it has to be you know um a lot that like depending on what kind of like you know if i'm getting ready for a show or whatever there i could be in in the morning you know up at 5 or 6 in the gym before work to do my cardio and then after work to do my weight training so like like the the, the cardio can vary like some, mm. some 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 like not every every for a show is kind of different and Sometimes your body will respond faster and sometimes it'll respond slower and you might need more or less cardio. So the cardio can vary. But like I would say that, like, you know, it's probably about two, like two hours, two and a half hours, maybe even more. If you take into account, I suppose, posing, which is another element. I could posing. be up like to three hours out of your day. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing. Like, you know, you, you have, you, you get in, like, you know, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get in the shape of my life. That's challenging enough. But now I have to learn this posing style and completely contort myself. Like, and yeah. it's not, they're not natural movements. You have to, you know, so a lot of the time you have to, like, you have to get a posing coach. And the problem, with, well, not the problem with it is, but when, it's one of the most important aspects because it doesn't matter what you look like because if you can't showcase your physique properly and, you know, like, make your poses flow and everything, thing then yeah. you like you won't win like you know so it's like how you move is just as important as what you look like so there's a couple of different bits that like there's like you know it's, it's more than just the weight weight training and the diet I yeah. wish it was just weight training and diet I struggled with the posing when I started yeah I was <laughs> I'm
3: just okay gonna say, now you'd have to have a lot of confidence <laughs> wouldn't you because you're posing yeah. in as well as the the movements and the poses you're in a yeah. bikini as well aren't you so
10: <laughs> yeah that's it yeah yeah like I, I <laughs> definitely that's one of the things I suppose that's given me um like over the last for years because I definitely wasn't confident when I started and yeah. I, it was actually it was like my first show was in the UL concert hall and it was where I graduated as well and my feet I felt like my feet were stuck to the floor and I was in a bikini I was like this is actually like a nightmare Like, I just <laughs> <can't."> <laughs> so yeah, so yeah um, it, it, it took a couple of shows to kind of to get the nerves out of me I was really nervous at the start and um, like, like yeah I was really really nervous and it just I, I just kind of got there by just I was like right, I'm really not comfortable with this, but if I keep making myself do it, I'm just going to get comfortable eventually because obviously I loved every other element of it. So I was like, I suppose, to my detriment sometimes, I'm kind of pig-headed and stubborn about things. So I'm like, no, no, I'm doing it now. (laughs) Can you ever see
3: yourself unprofessional?
10: professional? (laughs) um I'd love to like it's but it's like I suppose I say that knowing how difficult it is and I suppose trying to juggle it, like it's you know like um like it like it, it like it I, I think through COVID and everything like you know obviously I kept like it's a lifestyle to me now like and I'll always train and I'll always eat well and everything but um I suppose COVID kind of gave me the opportunity to have a, a bit more of a balanced lifestyle just in terms of my social life and not to be so meticulous all the time and everything and um, because I think like you know like obviously it, it attracts like more extreme personalities and people are you know like I suppose you, you, you either go all in or you're, you're you know like and you're, like I suppose it kind of attracts that kind of type so I think like mm-hmm. you know I've become a lot more balanced in my approach to it and I suppose it's as I get older as well and like I know that to kind of you know to really like to try and to turn professional would require like a huge level of sacrifice from my from my personal life and everything and i would lo- like i would love to do it and i i I'm like i'm hoping to compete again this summer and i'd say it'll be the last go. <laughs> but uh, yeah so it's just trying to i suppose it's nearly like flicking a switch and trying to just have uh, kind of have that kind of single-minded kind of vision that you're like right i like i need to knuckle down now i need to do this but um and what your family kind of, and friends
3: I, I, make of it all
10: <laughs> um I remember I remember I remember saying it like you know sitting down and, and saying it to my mum like and she didn't she didn't understand it at the time and she was like yeah. do you know like lads don't like that now you know they don't like it. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not to do with that but yeah. um like when, when she like when she like when she understood that I want to do it and i like and, and and it's the same with my friends as well like you know um I think that people like they don't fully understand it and like you know like they, they start to understand that this this thing means so much to you like so mm-hmm. you and you're putting so much into it that they always support you then because it's like you know like when something really really matters to you and they see the level of effort that you put in and I suppose the time and dedication that it takes um, like you can't help but be supportive I mean sometimes my sister would be like what's wrong with you are you hungry <laughs> or something is it like <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean it's like a on the whole commitment like,
3: <laughs> and you know fair play to you you're amazing I don't know if I'd have it in me to do it but like is it attainable for women you know for, for the majority of us like if we put our minds to it could we get into the yeah. shape that you're in now? <laughs> <laughs> um,
10: like I like the, I think it's probably one of the most things like the things that people commonly say like I could never do that or that wouldn't be me and stuff but yeah. I was that person as well I remember thinking like I was like I'll never be able to like eat like that I'll never be able to stay in mm. <laughs> every weekend and everything but really like I think it's just it's it, like it's kind of making a commitment to yourself it, like if that is the route that you want to go down yeah. then like anybody can do it it's just taking that commitment now there's a big difference between like you know obviously you can commit to it like I you know I think the thing about like fitness and exercise and going to the gym and everything is that like you know you have to enjoy it and it has to be sustainable for you too so like that's definitely something to consider I think like you know like as part of it like to, like, is it attainable to like you know to 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 go every day and be interested in it and not take it like not take it to a competitive level? Well, that that's completely attainable. And I think mm. gyms and stuff like it's never been more accessible or inclusive and stuff, you know. And there's a couple of different, you know, like there's not just bodybuilding anymore. There's different kind of weight training. There's CrossFit and then there's powerlifting as well. So like, there's a couple of different disciplines, but it would all incorporate weight training as well. So like, you know, like you don't have to be. You can be flexible in your approach as well. Like, you know, there's a lot out there, and I think. There's a lot more education and kind of mm-hmm. specialist training and stuff um you know like pts and everything in ireland at the moment so yeah
3: well, Niamh, hopefully you'll have inspired some of us now to go and be a little <laughs> bit more fit in ourselves. So, listen, thank you so much and best of luck with all, with all the competitions that you have this year as well going forward. That was Niamh Druhan. Uh, she works for Hopkins in PR, but she's in an extreme hobby of competitive weightlifting. Thank you very much for joining us on the show this morning, Neve Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan today on this Thursday morning on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. and. The Premier League Live is back this Saturday on 96fm.ie with Trevor Welch, powered by Talk Sport. We'll bring you live coverage of West Ham versus Newcastle United at 12.30, Arsenal v Brentford at 3, and Manchester City take on Tottenham Hotspur at 5.30pm. The Premier League Live online with NOW. Join in the experience with a NOW Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen Saturdays on the Cork's 96fm app, or go to 96fm.ie. Now as I said at the start of the show 9500 people approximately in the Whitegate area of Cork have been affected by a boil water notice since since 25th of December 2021 Owen oh, it's obviously causing a lot of frustrations for residents good morning
11: Hi Fiona. Yeah, no, it, it's it's causing immense frustration. It's 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 ridiculous situation, really. And I suppose it's it's not just this boil water notice, but we've actually had eight boil water notices in the last six years, um, including one which lasted eight months. So it's uh, and we've been we've been reassured multiple times that the the core problem has been fixed, and and yet mm. still here we are with uh, no drinkable water, um, and it's. Uh, it's ironic given i'm i'm here in Ballycotton and we're we're surrounded by water on three sides and it's it's a case of what water everywhere and not a drop to drink. You know, it's uh between the, the harbour and, and where we are here, it's uh there's you know, we, we've we've gone for significant periods of time without drinkable water and, and it's it's creating massive problems, Fiona, you know?
3: Yeah, and well, like we were contacted by Kathleen during the week and she said that, you know, in her situation that she's not even buying fruit at the minute because it's too awkward to try and clean and she said that you know having to constantly boil the kettle and with the escalating costs of ESB, that it's just putting up the bills.
11: Yeah, it is, you know. And I mean, you know, some people are. Where most people, I think, are, are going for a mix of of between boiling the water or or buying bottled water as well. And I mean, you know, the idea of buying bottled water to wash a lettuce it's 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 insanity, really. And I mm. mean, it's. It's it's adding huge cost, whether it's electricity costs or whether it's it's bottled water. You know, I mean, you know, if you look at the costs of for for a family of four to buy bottled water every day for all of your needs, I mean, you you could be talking, you know, about around two hundred and fifty quid for the most recent boiled water notice for a family of four. There, you know, and yeah. um, it's 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 real really significant cost, but it's it's the in, inconvenience as well. You know, there's people, you know feeding babies uh bottles and they're um you know they're worrying about what's in the water that they're that they're feeding their babies and you know even my own mother is is she she's well into her late 70s she's she's living on her own and you know she's lifting heavy bottles of water to do simple things like make a cup of tea you know it's Mm. it's 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 actually you know the un declare you know safe drinking water as a human right and you know We've, in East Cork here, in in Ireland, a wealthy country, we've gone for, you know, really significant periods of time without safe drinking water, you know. Um, And I suppose one of the biggest problems we have is the lack of information. We're hearing nothing. We hear nothing from Irish water. We haven't heard a whole lot from our representatives, our local representatives. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, have spoken about, you know, doing an enforcement against Irish Mm. water because of it. But we're hearing nothing about that either. You know, they're talking about it, but there's no clear plan. We're hearing there's, you know, Trojan work being done, but we're not aware of any plan there's been no public communication you know we, we heard about the, the, the latest boiled water notice on the 25th of, of December it was a, a lovely Christmas present mm. for us all and you you know we hear about it through local informal social media someone happens to, to look on the website but we don't get any direct communication from anyone really on it Well know? we
3: did get a statement back from Irish Water um, now it's a couple of pages long but they said that um, as part of our 25 year strategy under the National Water Resources Plan, we've identified that the preferred approach for the White Gate Supply includes the construction of a new water treatment plant to adequately treat the raw water. Due to the nature of the project, land acquisition, planning approvals and other legal consents may be required. So that could take quite a while. We've completed a detailed scoping of the treatment plant and we are currently assessing the best possible option on how to progress with works. Timelines for the completion of the project will be clearer shortly. However, all projects where some level of land acquisition, planning, etc. are involved can be difficult to predict. I mean, what's your response to that? That doesn't really answer or that doesn't really leave you in a better position, does it?
11: No, I mean, we're we're still boiling our water and we have been for a long time, you know. I mean, you know, as I said, you know, there was a major outage in 2016. Mm. You know, that's, you know, that like a huge amount of time has passed in that intervening period. We've been told multiple times that the the latest engineering works are going to resolve it once and for all and, and and really the the irony of it is is it's when we get some heavy rain that our water is is no longer drinkable so it, it's there's a, there's irony upon irony here with it and you know it, it's The boil water notice is one issue we have, but actually in the Ballycotton area, we've another issue for a huge proportion of the population here where it's not only that we're having to boil our water, but we're having weekly interruptions of the supply in totality. So we're seeing repeated about once a week that the water dries up completely. People are putting on the washing. They go off to work and when they come back, either the washing is dry or the water has come back while the washing Mm. has been on and the washing machine is full of dirty clothes. A a, a neighbour that was in touch with me there just last night to say that last week um, there was a whole load of washing was completely ruined because the sediment all gets stirred up every time they turn the water back on. I think I've sent you a picture of of Mm. the type of water that's coming out of our taps here as well and it's, it's it's worrying because you know you've you've young children who don't necessarily check every time that they um you know that they that they run water as to what the quality is you know obviously yeah. they all know they have to boil it but trying to even control that you know
3: it's, and once it's the really boiled water notice is lifted um kathleen was saying that once we get a sniff of heavy rainfall we're back into another one and i mean That's we're going it. to be getting heavy rainfall now over the next you know the next couple of hours um for tomorrow so is there a fear now that you'll be back into another boiled water notice for another couple of months
11: well, well i mean there's there's no sign of this one ending and mm-hmm. and i suppose when i say there's no sign we wouldn't know because nobody keeps in touch with us. So there's there's zero information. There's, you know, we have we we get no communication. Obviously, you know, everyone had to register uh, a few years ago with Irish Water. They, we do manage to get bills, uh, or sorry, we did manage to get bills, but we get no communication in terms of what is the plan. So is mm-hmm. there one week left in the boil water notice? Is there three weeks left in it? Is there two months left in it? We don't know. So, yeah, absolutely, with, with the heavy rain coming, None of us are very optimistic that this is going to end anytime soon. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it is. It's, it really is frustrating. And we've seen cases elsewhere in the country, closer to Dublin. Mm. You know, it was the Vartry and Sagart plants both had significant issues. And quite magically, they seem to get resolved once they got significant media attention. Yeah. We seem to be suffering in silence here down in East Cork you know I think maybe we're a little bit too far from the media epicentre of Dublin to get the focus but you know we, we've we've had no real attention from our public representatives mm. from, from anyone and I really appreciate 96FM's attention here today you know.
3: And we're glad that we can help and hopefully the right people are listening this morning and may be able to help. Now Irish Water have said that they apologise for the inconvenience it's caused and they understand the community's frustrations and they're ensuring that um, they are working tirelessly to resolve the issues affecting the plant both in the short and long term and you know I know that's fine but at the same time it's not putting you guys into any better situation than what you're in so yeah what's your reaction there to that to you know that they are apologising but you know they haven't been able to give us any timeline as to when all of this might end
11: yeah, and and you know we've we've been hearing apologies now for around eight years, you know, and more. you know, so look, it's it's obvious there's significant issues with the water supply. We understand that that mm. can't be fixed overnight. but I suppose what we would hope is is that there was a plan of action that we could, be aware of that there is interim measures to make sure that whilst they're planning the new plant, that, that um, there are measures in place to try and mitigate some of the issues that we're seeing, you know, month in, mm. month out. But, you know, I, I suppose that's really what we're asking for is awareness of a plan communication as to what's happening you know and and that we're kept abreast of of what is being done but because at the moment we're in the dark we've no water to drink We've intermittent supplies of water we can't drink without boiling And it really it's, you know, genuinely, I said it already around the UN, Mm. you know, human rights, you know, safe water is is a right. You know, the water required for each personal or domestic use must be safe, therefore free from microorganisms, chemical substances and radiological hazards to constitute a threat to a person's health that's not what we're getting you know
3: Yeah and as you say it is a basic human right. Oh and listen thank you very much and as I said hopefully some of the relevant people will be listening to the broadcast this morning and will be able to intervene and help you guys out down in Whitegate in East Cork
1: The Corks 96 FM Cash
2: Cow. With Mahan Point for fashion, film, food, and fun. Don't wait till the cows come home. Get moving to Mahan Point. See there you go now, people. That's
3: your cue to text us at 96, 96, 96 with the password that Casey and Ross would have given out this morning. Text us that and your name and we will call you back, hopefully, and you'll be able to play the cash cow giveaway.
1: The Corks 96 FM Cash Cow.
2: With Mahan Point for fashion, film, food, and fun. Don't wait till the cows come home. Get moving to Mahan Point. See (laughs) MahanPointSC.ie. Leanne, good morning Good morning Fiona, how are you?
3: <laughs> I'm very well, how are you? How are the nerves? Oh, they're okay now, hanging in there Fiona I've been trying all the time now Ah, brilliant so, Well, let's hope you get loads of money Leanne this morning
4: <laughs> We'll give it a go, go anyway
3: <laughs> Alright, are you ready to play? I am indeed Fiona Okay, let's go
1: 100 Euro
3: um, do? I'll go again please. Go again?
4: Alright Yep
1: one hundred euro.
4: Oh come on! I go again, Fiona. <laughs> please. All right, go
3: again. So
1: fifty euro.
3: Oh Jesus! I'll have to go again. Go on again! Oh my God!
1: In 50 years. Oh, I'll
10: stop, I'll yeah. stop. <laughs> All
4: right, we'll stop. Oh, brilliant, Yay. Fiona. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I'm shaking. Oh, my God.
3: Congratulations. Do you want to see what would have happened if you had got, kept on? Oh, we
4: probably get to move, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, Fiona. Yay it's brilliant. Fantastic.
3: (laughs) Delighted for you, Leanne. Listen, congratulations. I'll put you back to Fergal there. Thank you so much, Fiona. Have a good day. You too. Thanks a lot, Leanne. That was Leanne and she is just after winning €250 on the cash cow giveaway this morning. Well done. As I said, I don't know how people play this game. (laughs) You'd have to have nerves of steel. I just wouldn't be able for it at all. So thank you very much and thanks to everybody who entered. Keep entering. We will be playing again tomorrow with PJ when he's back. Now just in relation to um, the hospital, the elective hospital for Cork, we got news Owen English was reporting it, it reporting in the examiner that. um, A site for the 100 million euro elective hospital that's been talked about in Cork now for so long um, has been selected and the site is at St. Stephen's Hospital in Glanmire. Now there is a process that has to to go through now before um, that is developed but there's a site nevertheless and Ellen has been in touch via Facebook to say great news regarding St. Stephen's Hospital. Our HSE, our sick people may finally get another hospital. Well done to all who are helping make this happen and thank you very much Ellen for your comment now, Shanita Daly's father, Harry, was sentenced after he had pleaded guilty to abusing her, both sexually and physically, over since she was the age of four, up until her adult life. And she has written a book called Sins of the Father. And I've spoken to her about this book and why she wrote it. And she said to me that she didn't really want to concentrate on the abuse element of it, but more that she wanted people to feel empowered um, by what she has written. And here here is her her story. Shanita Daly, you wrote this book, Sins of the Father, and it documents the daily abuse that you suffered at the hands of your father. Uh, can you just tell me a little bit, first of all, about why you decided to write this book?
6: I've been
12: very... Um, open and public about what happened because I believe that the person that was abused is not at fault. So I've no shame in saying whatever I want to say. Um, I got um, I was contacted by Linda Watson Brown, who was the ghostwriter on Twitter, and we became friendly a couple of years ago. She asked me if she was I like, interested in writing a book. I said oh, I don't know, <laughs> and then I said I didn't want to write a sad book. I'd like to write about um, the grooming process. I'd like to write about mental health. I'd like to write about all the things that are flawed in the system. And um, she knew from talking to me what it was I wanted to do with the book and have a positive outlook on life after being abused.
3: And was it difficult to write the book?
12: It was very difficult when when we got to the process of doing it. And I thought I'd spoken about everything, but it's kind of like the court case that I spoke about, not the details. So in doing it, it brought up an awful lot of things um, we done, I'd say it was over the course of a month we'd done loads of Zoom meetings I'd cancelled some of them then because I'd be kind of traumatised of what we were talking about but um, mm-hmm. now I'm so glad i done it it was so therapeutic to just get it out there
3: and in your book, you do go into a lot of detail about what happened. And we won't go into that kind of detail on, yeah. on the, the show here today. But you said that you didn't want it to be a sad book, that you wanted it to be um, a powerful book and, and a message for other people that, you know, it is important to speak out.
12: Yeah, because it's such a culture in Ireland of keeping everything quiet and under the carpet and not speaking about it. And then when you do speak about it, people are saying, why do you have to keep bringing it up? Why can't you just stop it? And I'm you know, saying, well, that's what I endured as a child. But yet I'm standing here. I'm able to talk about it now. And I just want to encourage other people to speak to somebody that is there is no shame in it.
3: And Shanita, the abuse started when you were four, and it continued right up until your um, you moved out of home when you were seventeen. And has that it obviously had a, a lasting effect on you, but you were able to go on and and live a relatively normal life. You got married, you had children. Where did you find the strength to do all of that?
12: Do you know what? When I was 17, I spoke out about it. Um, my mum never took my side. She just kind of, you know, she wanted my dad back in the house. I wasn't looked after by my parents properly. I felt that, you know, I I do feel if my mum had of acting properly at the time and got me the proper services that I needed, my life would have been different. But I went on to have children and then as I went into my 30s, I realised that my father was just a danger to other people and that I had to press charges against him and yeah it just it just all escalated into that but yeah I like my life now and I'm happy I'm very happy now.
3: We'll come back to your father Harry there in a minute but you did mention your mother are you angry towards your mother now for allowing this to go on in the house for so long?
12: Um, At the time I wasn't, I was more angry at my mum that she didn't look after me like I would look after one of my children if they told me something similar. And then after my father went to prison, I became indifferent to him and that was so freeing that I didn't feel, you know, because hate is a way stronger emotion than love. It's more damaging to you. But then the resentment came in that my mum was able to walk away from me, my siblings and um, my children, her grandchildren, just to be with him.
3: And what's your relationship with her like now?
12: Oh, I haven't spoken to her since the day my dad went in on remand and they're both still together.
3: Wow. And your dad, Harry, um, there was a trial and he was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Is he still in prison now?
12: Oh, no, he's done seven and a half years because he got five years off for um, the guilty plea and then they get a quarter off their sentence. They step into prison, so he done seven and a half years.
3: And what was your reaction to that sentence? Because it seems quite lenient compared to the years and years of abuse that you had to suffer.
12: Well, that's why I start campaigning. You know, in recent years, to do a mandatory sentencing. That when you look at the the devastating impact that it has on me, but it's not just me; it's a ripple effect to the whole family, the relations, everyone. It affects everyone, and I don't know.
3: And have other abuse survivors come to you looking for advice?
12: Oh, I get it all the time. I've had people driving to Shannon to meet me. I yeah. When I see abuse cases going on, and I get the name, I try and reach out to them because when I went through my statement on my guards, my guards statement and the court, I had no one else to talk to that had been through something similar. So I try and tell them I'm here, and then they, if anyone reaches out to me, I always contact them back as well.
3: What advice do you give to them? Just to stay
12: strong and tell your truth. You know, speak your truth. Don't let other people put you down. Don't let anyone else ever make you silent again because as a child, you were made to be silent. And that's devastating to grow up that way. And then if you can get the courage to just not let anyone influence your decisions in life, it's it's very freeing.
3: You mentioned there that you've been campaigning about uh, sentences and for lengthier sentences because I suppose for a victim, it takes a huge amount of courage to report it, first of all, and to have the, the strength then to go through the court system. And then at the end of it, if they're only getting like in your case, such a short sentence, it must be really um, I mean, like there's a I suppose there is a certain amount of justice to it, but it must be a little bit downheartening for them to, you know, have gone through all of that and to relive the, the, the memory in court as you said at the start there and then for you know such a small sentence to be handed down um, in your campaign, like how far have you gotten with it? Have you been able to get through to any of ministers or government well, I TDs?
12: Met, I met um, the Minister for Justice at the time um, Charlie Flanagan a few years ago I'd been on the Clare Byrne show and he offered me a meeting then afterwards because I had been emailing all the TVs, 143 of them I think, oh So we had a meeting and I spoke to him you know that we go to court it takes so long for it to get to court I said some files aren't sent off to the DPP for up to a year Mm. I said and I explained everything to him and you know said you know why can't it be mandatory that people know if they hurt a child or sexually assault another person that they're going to get 20 years whereas in some um, abuse cases somebody gets 6 years and somebody's getting 18 years there's no consistency to the sentencing Mm. But, yeah, then I was involved with Tom O'Malley reports. He put in our, our advice into our opinions, into another committee. And I, I still campaign for little things all the time.
9: Yeah.
3: And your book, Sins of the Father, it's um, released this week, is that right?
12: It's released this week, but it's actually been on the shelves in Easton's and O'Mahony since last week.
3: Okay. And so people can get it in all good bookshops, or yeah. And can they all get it? Books. And it's on, on on audio as well, an ebook.
12: Yeah, and it's on Kindle as well, I think.
3: Oh, very good. And how does it feel to see your book now like that <laughs> on the shelves? Well, I went into
12: my local Easton's. I live in Shannon. It's very small. I went into my local Easton's, just to ask them, was it going to be in the store on Thursday? People were asking me and then they told me it was on the shelf. Mm. And then I nearly had a heart attack. <laughs> I got overwhelmed in the town centre. I just lost, I hadn't actually seen a physical copy of the book either. Mm. So then I came home and, um, yeah, then my children, my adult children were messaging me about it. And then by the time my best friend went down to buy
13: it, she got the last copy.
3: Wow. Yeah. yeah. But it's amazing. And it goes to show how, uh, you know, how much strength you do have. You know, I spoke about that earlier there in the interview. But uh, to, you know, to go on and write about what happened to you and now to have a published book is just amazing.
12: Yeah, it's overwhelming, but I, I am trying to be proud for the first time ever in my life. Because, you know, I wasn't brought up that way of being complimented or, you know, encouraged to do stuff. But mm. now I'm like, yeah, I've done it and
3: there it is. Do you find it hard to say, yeah, I'm great? <laughs> yeah, 100% <laughs> my
12: worst quality. Yeah,
3: I think a lot of us do, though, in fairness. <laughs> yeah, it's an Irish thing, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Shanita, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And best of luck with the book. Thank you so much. Okay, take care. Thank you.
2: Bye. Can we just talk?
1: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text
2: or WhatsApp now. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six
1: on courts ninety six FM.
2: Now we've all heard about how the moon
3: can affect our emotional state, but how can we use the power of the moon to help us build, create the lives that we want? Rachel Francis is in a body coach. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning. Thank you
13: so much for having me on.
3: Rachel, is it true that the moon affects our moods and in what way?
13: Yeah, I mean, completely. If we think about it, you know, I think we often forget how closely linked we are to nature, like we are nature ourselves. And, you know, as we all know, everything is energy. We're made up of energy and everything out there is responding to us because, you know, like attracts like energy attracts more of the same. Mm. So, you know, the moon has always been closely associated with our feeling state, like how that really makes us feel about ourselves, about, you know, everything going on outside of us. So I think it's it's a good idea maybe just to give a little bit of our attention and see what influence it has over us.
3: And how can we use the power of the moon then to, you know, change the way we do things in our lives?
13: Yeah, I mean, you know, you can look at it in the sense that, um, there is suppose, a collective response to this. So you can look at the astrological calendar to see the different phases, I guess, of the moon and different placements of the moon. And as they move through different zodiac signs, the different type of energy that actually that conditions us to feel a certain way, because really what we're talking about here is how it programs us to feel. So it's working with the subconscious mind.
3: And um, yeah. And Reggie, oh, sorry. yeah sorry you're doing a workshop on this whole area and um it's um in particular you're going to be looking at how the moon placements over the next 6 months in our astrological calendar will influence our emotional well-being like how do we know first of all what um moon placement is in our birth chart like how do we find that out
13: Well, really, you find that out by if you know your location at the time of your birth, some birth details that you need. So your birthday, your time of um, birth for your full chart and also your location of birth. So this is really the key that you need to look into your entire birth chart. Of course, there, you know, I offer birth chart readings myself and mentoring on your birth chart to actually work with the energy that is there. Hmm. But in the workshop that we have coming up next week. So like we were saying earlier, you know, we will be looking at that kind of collective response to the energies of the moon over the next six months but also what's really powerful is to look into your own birth chart and see what's there that is kind of giving you a very specific i suppose blueprint on how you can find your most effective self-care practices for you to self-nurture and through that you know if if we're speaking about something like manifesting you're manifesting from your feeling state so it's going to be the clue that you need also to manifest the best ability you can
3: and your workshop, Rachel, um, you say that it's suitable for people who are overwhelmed or stressed, unable to connect mm-hmm. to their true power, uh, detached from your intuition. Um, so, you know, for people like that who maybe do the workshop, what kind of areas will you be focusing on? Is it just like how the, the moon in their birth chart is going to affect them over the next six months? Or is it how they're going to be able to use this knowledge to help them going forward?
13: It's both, really. It's both, because I think we need to understand what's at play first. Mm -hmm. And even looking back over the last six months, you know, how have you felt over the last six months and has that correlated to the astrological calendar? But from there, then I'm actually, it's very much a collaboration with another incredible coach, Mel, um, who will, I'll be starting off with um, more of the astrology side of things. And then Mel will be guiding us through A very deep very powerful visualization meditation journaling practice and then we'll all really be chatting and reflecting together you know and creating our vision boards after that so it's very much i suppose looking at what is there seeing how it's affecting us and then really making a very inspiring and powerful plan to move you forward in your life to create the life that you want
3: and if anybody does want to
13: take part in the workshop what can they do like do they have to sign up for it in advance Yes, that would be great because because I am taking everyone's birth details. So if people are interested, uh, make sure you get your ticket as soon as possible. As I say, it is on Sunday week. So Sunday the 27th um, in Douglas Yoga Center from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. And just to give me a a few days at least just to run up your chart for you so that I can give you the best reading possible. And you can find your tickets um, either on Eventbrite by searching the title of the workshop, which is... Lunar wisdom and empowerment, or you can find me on Instagram. I am Rachel Francis, and message me there.
3: And it's great to be able to have an event in person. I'm sure, I'm sure for yourself, with things like this, oh it's much easier.
13: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's very surreal still, you know. And um, I work with a lot of clients in in the states and across Europe and things like that. So it's just very exciting to be having an in person event.
3: Fabulous. Well, best of luck with it. And that is Rachel Francis. She is an embodiment coach here in Cork.
1: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
2: Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp
1: 83 396 96 96.
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
1: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for
3: PJ Coogan and as you heard in the news there that storm warning for Cork has been elevated to a red warning and I just see here in the Irish Times reporting that a decision will be made later today on whether the schools will close so I suppose we just have to keep an eye on um, our social media and on the Department of Education website and schools themselves will issue any updates to parents and our news here on 96FM will have updates across the day as well Um, and that storm is coming into effect from 3am until 8am tomorrow morning Um, just with regards to um, if you're watching TV tonight, First Dates Ireland is on and we got a message here from Andrew Ahern to say please send luck to Cork girl Maria Barker who's on the Valentine special for First Dates Ireland on tonight on rte 2 we're all mad about her, she's a complete messer, we'll see her on Love Island yet that's for sure, she's the best lad can't wait. Uh, Thank you very much for that, Andrew. And we look forward to seeing Maria on First Dates um, Ireland tonight. And there's another Cork girl, Effie Murphy, who PJ spoke to during the week. She's also going to be on it tonight. So two Cork people on First Dates tonight. So if you're staying in away from the weather, maybe that's something that you can watch. Now, in March 2019, Irish humanitarian worker Mick Ryan died when a Boeing 737 MAX plane crashed in in Ethiopia. And his Cork wife, Nisha, has been fighting for answers since and I've been speaking to her ahead of the release of a Netflix documentary on what happened which is due for release tomorrow. I know it's coming up to the three year anniversary since the crash in which Mick died. How are you doing? Uh,
14: that's a good question. Um, well I, I suppose I, you know getting on with things as best we can mm. Um but uh, in terms of you know like legal battles and stuff, it's it's a constant uphill um kind of struggle, you know, and like you there are kind of new wounds kind of inflicted uh, sometimes with um you know some of the outcomes from from our cases and stuff. So you know it, it it's very much up and down Fiona.
3: It must take an awful lot out of you, though, Nisha. I mean, you know, you're obviously grieving, but then you've got this constant battle as well that you're going into. And it's like it's court cases and federal courts over in the States. It must be exhausting. Uh, It can
14: be. Um, There are times when I, you know, you really do feel, you know, that you're up against, really up against it. You know, you've hit that wall. Um, but the way I kind of see it is it's kind of like a marathon uh, when just when you hit the wall you got to keep running and that's what gets you to the finish line so um, I'm determined to keep going and you know we really are undeterred in our battle for justice so keeping that in mind and then just trying to you know keep things going at a, at a personal level um, you know that that's my priority you know um, that that one doesn't uh, affect the other too much. As you say, like, we are all going through a, a grieving process, but um, justice has to, well, I believe justice has to be
3: served in this case. So I suppose that uh, aim gives you the strength that you need to keep going.
14: It, it does, definitely. Um, you know, there... There's a, there are times when you just have to switch off um, and then there are times when you ha- you just have to be full-on focused um, and know exactly what's going on and and who are the players now but everything is day by day you, you live in the present um, and and then you, you try and keep your expectations low um, and and you just keep going really.
3: And where are you now? I mean I know it's gone to court in the states.
9: Um,
14: Well, actually, so we filed a motion just before Christmas in December um, under the Crime Victims' Rights Act. Um, Basically, we we said that our rights were violated um, when the Department of Justice uh, came up with this deferred prosecution agreement with... Boeing and didn't consult with any of the families in the process. So, there's a law there that dates back to about 2004 in America that states that, um, you know, crime victims um, should be reasonably consulted during any prosecution and particularly a deferred prosecution process. We were never consulted and we were told that there was by the victims' rights ombudsman that there was no criminal investigation. And then all of a sudden, last year in January 2021, um, just before the about two weeks before the Trump administration left office, we got we actually found out in the media that um, the Department of Justice had had agreed um, had kind of settled with Boeing, and that they had conducted. A criminal investigation. So, so we're basically fighting on on just on our rights to be consulted at the moment. So that was the motion we filed back in in December, um, and then um, we met with Merrick Garland, who is the Attorney General um, there, a number of weeks back in January, um, before the kind of final date for for submitting information. And we were alo- we were allowed to kind of present um, some of our the, our victim stories, and our, our lawyer Paul Cassell, um, you know, presented uh, to Mary Garland, and uh, you know it it was a positive kind of step at the time. Uh, we they didn't make any he didn't make any comment, uh, but we felt he was sympathetic at the time. So we were quite um, shocked and surprised when the Justice Department um, took the uh, option if you like of uh, opposing our motion so right now where it stands is that we're waiting to um, go to court on this the, the The court in Texas has granted a, granted a stay for all um, parties to kind of confer but But really, that, you know, kind of has has gone nowhere once the Justice Department decided to go against us um, and stick with this deferred prosecution agreement. That was it. Uh, So we now take it to the court and let the courts decide.
3: I know previously you had asked for Taoiseach Mihal Martin to get involved and you also called on the US President Joe Biden to get involved and support your motion. Did they ever come back to you?
14: Um, Yeah, um, the the Taoiseach has actually been quite supportive um, and he wrote to President Biden, in fact, last year um, it was probably around April or May last year um, just, you know, kind of asking him to to kind of look at it Mm -hmm. um, you know, to review it Uh, but Biden, well as far as I know nothing kind of came of it, if if you like but but the Taoiseach has been very supportive, and in fact, when we were trying to get this meeting with the Department of Justice and, in particular, with the Attorney General, um, uh, he he also wrote. Um, the, he got the Irish Embassy in America to write to them, just saying that he had an interest that we would uh, meet with the Attorney General, and I and I actually believe that that's what um, how how we got the meeting at the end. So. So he has been very supportive, which is, um, you know, like we're we're extremely grateful for, you know, because uh, um, it really does take right now. There are so many different nationalities involved and countries involved that having the Irish government support us, um, it really does kind of help our case in this.
3: Anisha, there's a documentary on what happened coming out later this week on the 18th of February, is that right, Friday. Um, it's called Downfall, the case against Boeing, and um, it's going to be broadcast on Netflix. Um, the the, dec- the documentary kind of tells the story of what happened. Um, how do you feel about that coming out? Um, well, it's
14: been... It- it's one of a number of documentaries that have been made um, last year. Uh, there was one made by a channel called um, ABC, I think, in America, a 2020 documentary. So this one, though, is the one that we were really waiting for because it's produced by Ron Howard. A very, um, He's a very well-known uh, producer in America, and it is directed by Rory Kennedy. Um, and they they went um into I, I suppose they 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 did a lot of investigation um into you know this the whole kind of um what happened you know the after the, what happened with the crashes and and then you know some of the information that came out afterwards um and I believe that they um you know it it is quite um uh, what's the word it's quite shocking um you, you know from from beginning to end just to see the the um you know how this could have even come about you know how how something like this could even happen um and it it, it, it really is unbelievable i know it was due to come out uh, Uh, in November last year but it might have had like a kind of a small screening Hmm. but the Sundance Film Festival was in January Um, so it had its premiere on that day and uh, one of the victims' families was on a kind of interview panel afterwards you know, just answering any questions from the media.
3: And what kind of reaction did it get?
14: Um, I mean, I suppose as you can imagine like, like a lot of the information is in the public domain. um, But when you present something on screen and and in such a way from beginning to end, um, it it, it is quite shocking. And um, it's, I, you know, I believe it's got a very um, it's got a good reaction in the U S in terms of its content and, and the questions that it, um it asks and and uh, you know just how the whole case is presented. Um but it, it, it's 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 very disturbing um very shocking. I, I haven't seen it myself. I I don't know if it's something I would be able to watch because they do recreate a lot of um what happened in mm. the crashes. Um, you know, so that's something that could be quite traumatic to to, to watch and, and um, have to relive, you know.
3: And that documentary, as I said, it's called Downfall, the case against Boeing and it's released on Netflix on February 18th. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, brilliant. Listen, Nisha, thanks so much for talking to me and best of luck with everything. I'm sure we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks a million Fiona.
2: Can we just talk?
1: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: Text or WhatsApp now. 083
1: 96, 96
2: 96 on Corks 96 FM. Welcome back. Fiona and in, in for PJ Coogan
3: today. Now, if you've got a new smartphone or tablet, then grab the must-have app so you can take us everywhere. Download the Corks 96 FM app now and listen to your favourite shows on the go. And if you have a smart speaker, remember you can ask it to play Corks 96 FM. Cork's Cork's 96FM is the home of even more music choice, streaming online all the time. The Fit Mix plays the best tunes for your workout and Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix brings you the freshest new music non-stop. Listen on your phone app, play us on your smart speaker or go to 96FM.ie. Now we were speaking earlier to Sharon um, about how the actions of a man who intervened in when she was being followed to the train station yesterday evening helped her um, and the UCC are this week holding a bystander intervention programme which discusses um, things like this. Good morning Lou- Professor Louise Crowley, good morning. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well, uh, Professor. I'm not sure if you heard a couple of the interviews that we did during the week here on the show. We spoke to Sandra this morning. And we spoke to Kyla yesterday, who recounted tales of um, being followed by men, and the you know that the actions of another person who intervened stopped you know from the whatever it was was good from going any further. Um, how important is this kind of action from people?
15: Yeah, I mean, it is so important, Fiona, and it is the the essence of what we do at UCC in delivering the Bystander Intervention Programme. What we're talking about here are are people who are not involved in an incident or a potential incident, but who are aware of people around them and can recognize problematic behavior. And having recognized it, uh, have that sense of personal responsibility that they can act for the well-being of others. So in your examples, those women who are being followed are indeed for, you know, calling out unacceptable language or behavior or other actions, kind of demanding a certain level of respect in our society. So in essence, what we're saying is that you know, everybody has a role to play in ending, you know, threats to women and gender-based violence and all forms of sexual harassment and violence as bystanders.
3: And the bystander program—that's the bystander intervention program—that's taking place in UCC this week. Um, th- you did have one in 2019, but this is the first one you've had since then because of COVID. So, just yeah, just to
15: to clarify, so the bystander intervention training is available all the time in UCC to all staff and all students. This week, we're having. A dedicated bystander intervention week, just to shine a light on it, to start more conversations, not only on campus but beyond campus. To, to, um, I suppose, make people aware of their capacity in, in sometimes the most subtle ways to make a difference, and you know, to, to step in and support you know, vulnerable people where they recognise behaviour that's problematic. So, uh, in UCC, all of our staff and students can take that training, which is online for about two hours, self-directed, and then they participate in in-person in workshops with their peers where we tease out their learning and consider its application in in real life scenarios. Are you guys getting a lot of interest from the students themselves? So we do. So, I mean, it's a voluntary sign up. So it's always really encouraging when staff and students take the time out to do this training and our numbers are increasing all the time. And I mean, the tragic events in Tullamore and the the murder of Ashley Murphy sparked an incredible appetite for the training in UCC. We had a, a dramatic increase in signups, particularly amongst men, which I think um, speaks to the recognition that developing these skills and developing the awareness and that sense of you know capacity to contribute to a safer society is something that is resonating with men, and men are realising that you know rather than being seen to be part of the problem, in fact they can be and are part of the solution. So it is really encouraging to see that appetite for training and it has gone beyond UCC and we have received huge interest nationally and even internationally for the development and rollout of the training across all sectors and workplaces and sporting organisations
3: It's actually quite promising to hear that, that there's more men, um, you know, seeking um, information in relation to this. Because even when I was speaking to Sandra and I asked her that question about intervention, and she said that, you know, in some cases, if somebody has encountered problematic behaviour, that if it was another female to step in, that they may be putting themselves into potential danger. Whereas if it's another man who intervenes, um, you know, the the person who's causing the problematic behaviour is more likely to run away.
15: Yeah, so there's a couple of really interesting things there. I suppose the first thing I'd like to say is that most interventions aren't confrontations. So there is this perception that, or if I get involved, I could be physically hurt. And, and I mean, sometimes obviously that is, is the case, that it has to be a physical confrontation. But actually, the way we, we developed the training is to open people's minds to the fact that it can simply be, you know, if that if a man is following a woman and you see him and you think, God, he looks a bit dodgy, stop him and say, I'm sorry, can you tell me how to get to Patrick Street? So mm. you're distracting him in the situation. She continues to walk and move away. and it, you know, Or equally, you could go to her and say, uh, you know, I'm going to walk next to you to the train station. I, you know, I keep a distance, but I'm Walking behind you, I see what's happening. You know, it can be really subtle. It can be distracting. It can be removing. It can be changing the conversation. And so, interventions—whether it's a male or female—you know, I mean, obviously there there can be a physical element to it, but actually, typically there 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 needn't be. Um, so that's that's really interesting that people would understand the mm. range of interventions that are possible, and that in fact many of us can, can make those interventions. But always remembering that sometimes uh, the, the safest intervention might be to get somebody else. So really. A important that your intervention is safe so you don't put yourself in harm and so like even talking to our students in UCC we would say you know you might be better off just calling the bouncer or the barman or a guard on the street and that might be the best intervention so remembering again that range of possibilities and uh, they'll only know to intervene if they can recognize the behavior is problematic and that brings us back to I suppose the awareness of what's not acceptable and the challenge of I suppose shattering any consensus that you know What might be regarded as banter or the lads having the crack or just a joke, you know, a rape joke, a comment, leering or whistling. None of this is acceptable. And so it's really important that we have those conversations and that there's a zero tolerance approach because we won't make an intervention until we recognise it as problematic.
3: Um, Professor Crowley, the Bystander Intervention Week at UCC, it's been running all week and it's not just sexual violence that you're talking about, sexual harassment and sexual violence. Um, I know on the show here earlier on in the week, we did speak to somebody who was involved in an anti-racism um, campaign that's running in conjunction mm-hmm. with Bystander Intervention Week. So it covers a lot of issues.
15: Right. Well, I suppose uh, the training that people get on the bystander training, whilst it's couched in the context of sexual harassment and violence of course the skills they're developing are entirely transferable to issues of racism, homophobia, bullying. So it's all about, you know, I suppose, recognising that we do exist in a, whether it's in a campus community or in a broader society and that when we're aware of and recognise any type of problematic behaviour, that it's just not good enough to walk by and think somebody else will deal with it. That we have a capacity and, you know, you could argue a responsibility to speak up when we see that, whatever form the abuse or harassment might be. And so we very much work Welcomed engaging with various groups both internally in UCC and externally to, I suppose, ensure that there's an understanding of the breadth of the application of the bystander skills, and uh, whatever circumstances that you might, might come across.
3: And you guys raised a bystander flag on the campus on Wednesday. We it's the first university yeah. in the country to do that.
15: Yeah, so we're very proud of this. And I suppose, firstly, you know, UCC is so supportive of this work. They recognise that as an institution, an educational institution, that we're perfectly positioned, you know, with a huge we've 22,000 students and two and a half thousand staff. So with our, you know, skills as educators, we can develop the programme and deliver it to a really significant number of people. And of course, that spreads beyond the campus then, both in terms of their everyday lives and when they graduate from the university. So really proud that the university recognises the importance of this work, the importance of our capacity to impact on society and to do so in such a meaningful way to raise a flag on, on the Quad yesterday. So our President John O'Halloran and our Deputy Deputy President Stephen Byrne were there with us and members of the Gardee members of the bystander team and the broader UCC community to celebrate. What we do see is a really positive response to the really tragic and horrific issue of sexual harassment and violence, which is so prevalent in so many ways in our society, but that UCC takes a stand against it, demanding zero tolerance, but also enables our staff and students to be proactive.
3: And finally, Professor Crowley, if somebody wants to get um, some information on the work that you do, where can they find out what you do?
15: So you can go to the UCC website and find all of the details of our events this week, but also of the program, the aim and vision of our program and all related materials at bystanderintervention at ucc.ie um, and contact us at any time if anybody wants further information.
3: Lovely. That's Professor Louise Crowley. She's Director of the Bystander Intervention Program at UCC. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. Now we're all planning holidays again and we're able to go off on our holidays again. And are you thinking though of bringing your uh, parents so if you're it's now that the latest craze now is um, or it's not a craze but I suppose this is uh, what's popular now with holiday makers is that three generations of the same family go so the grandparents the parents and the kids um, and joining me now to discuss this is Fion Davenport. Good morning Fionn.
16: Good morning to you.
3: Fionn um, the, the 3G family holiday, um, there's been a survey done and it shows that 55% of um, the people in Ireland want to spend more time with the extended family. But do we want to be spending that time on holidays with them?
16: Um, yeah, well, actually, the survey, which is Clayton Hotels, they did the survey. Hmm. 95% of respondents, like, I mean, 95%, so virtually all of them said that they would be fun. I don't know about you, but (laughs) I don't remember the last time that I thought that a holiday with my parents, the kids, everybody all together was my idea classed as fun. Like, you know, necessary part of family obligation. Sure. You know, I love my parents. They love the grandkids, all of these. But the idea of it being fun. And then if you (laughs) dig down into it, you have like 50, 57 percent want to take more of these kind of holidays um and now that's particularly strong among the grandparent cohorts so Mm. 63 percent of the grandparents and the reason for this is simple it's it's the privations it's the restrictions of the last couple of years it's this idea that it's refocused what matters and i don't know about you but i didn't see my mom for a year and a half
3: yeah
16: like a year and a half it's like it's the longest since i've been born she didn't see her grandkids for two years Like and and so this I think this is this this profound experience that we've all gone through has served to kind of refocus our attention. So when we're looking to plan holidays going coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. The idea of family together, of people spending time with loved ones, of grandparents making sure that they spend quality time with grandkids, of parents having on hand babysitters. if they. I was just going to gonna say, maybe evening. the
3: fun element <laughs> is that you have a babysitter there to hand. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
16: sure. I mean, obviously, these things are important. These things are handy. Mm. But I think that what the survey shows more than anything, all joking aside, is, is that valuable time how time has become so precious for yeah. so many of us and I, my mom my mom is 81 years old and, and she won't mind me giving her age out on radio yeah um and and as she said herself during the pandemic she goes look Fiona, i understand that like like this this has been an extraordinarily long time for everybody but when you're 80 years old a year is a huge amount of time in my life mm. And and that's a profound thing to say, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I said to my dad actually about coming on holidays with us um, because my mom passed away last year and I was saying to my dad, sure, you can come on holidays with us, it'll be great. And he was saying, I'm not sure if I want to spend my time. Because, you know, they would have been used to going off and sipping a glass of wine on the beach or whatever, like during the day. Whereas now the thought of sitting beside a kid's pool (laughs) just wasn't very appealing to him. But, um, you know, I can understand why people would want to go on holidays with the whole family and, and spend time. Together,
16: Well, you've kind of, you've dug in. So this is where like, it becomes an incredibly important thing to remember is that not just because three generations of one family want to go on holidays together, doesn't mean that they all like the exact same things while on holiday. So the Mm -hmm. secret, it's not really a secret, but the kind of the logic to having a decent family holiday is about taking account of different interests, different energies, different speeds, different appetites. So like okay let's say for instance there's been a family wedding that's been postponed for two years or a big milestone birthday or whatever mm. and the family are all going to get together to celebrate so before you do is take account of the fact that like as you said your dad might like a different kind of thing to what the kids like Um i like a different kind of thing to what my mom likes and definitely the kids like a different kind of thing so If you take account of each of those things, you can have a much more successful family holiday whilst at the same time spending time with each other, which, as I said, according to the survey, is more precious than ever.
3: So, Fionn, if people are planning on going what's deemed a 3G holiday, like what do they need to be um, aware of or what do they need to know if they're planning for a 3G holiday?
16: Well, first and foremost is is that it's what kind of a holiday are you going to go on. Now obviously as foreign travel is back up and running and slowly getting back um and more's the merrier. Like I think that's wonderful. Equally I think that certainly for a lot of and not just people of the older generation but for a lot of people still the hassle of passenger locator forms and QR codes and and all kinds of things. Mm. Um they stay they i think that it it pushes people you know what i'm still i'm going to have a staycation i'm going to stay i'm going to holiday at home and i think that's still a trend that's going to be ongoing for the well i'm I'm not going to say the foreseeable future but Mm -hmm. certainly for the immediate future so the idea of kind of staying local or certainly within the country i think is still going to be a trend, and. Sorry, go on.
3: Yeah, we just had a call there to oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six to say my friend went on a three G to a fabulous resort in Italy, but she said never again. She was used as a babysitter and saw nothing. <laughs>
16: ah, and that, and that's also look. Here is the thing. Of course, like grandparents are babysitters. That's what, but at the same time, you can't be taking advantage of it either. I mean, yeah. I think there is an idea of saying is it that like, look, do I want to go off? For one night with my wife and have a nice, quiet, lovely, romantic meal? Sure, absolutely. Mm. But equally, it's says I can't be taking the mickey and just kind of saying, right, like, that's it, the grandparents are there. See ya. <laughs> I'll be in a few <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, within 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 reason. But it, what underlying all of this, and we can all can have fun about it, but underlying all of this, I think the importance of this survey is that it reveals this profound profound shift in how we view family time uh, and, do you and particularly think, though, those will feel sorry
3: for disrupting you there but do you think that because we've just come out of the pandemic and you know the lockdowns and whatever and as you said people didn't get to spend a lot of time together over the last two years and that everybody is um availing of this now but do you think can you see this as something going forward that we're going to continue doing
16: yes certainly for the foreseeable future and and look it's a bit like when you've had kind of a cataclysmic event and you come out of it and you go i'm a changed person I'll, I'll never be the same i'm of the opinion that ultimately we kind of eventually get back to the habits of who we actually are so but i think for the foreseeable future i think this i i i I'll, i can only speak personally mm. at christmas time my mum and the three generations all got together again for the first time in two years. And it was wonderful. It was really special. It was maybe, and and my, my father passed away a couple of years ago, so it's just my mum now. Mm. And But never before in my life have I appreciated, and I know my brother and my sister felt the exact same way, did we appreciate the idea of spending time together? And did we drive each other mad? Because it was, of course we did. <laughs> That's just the way of it. Yeah. Yes, of course we drove each other mad, but underneath all of that there was this deep appreciation for spending time together and as i said my mother being of a certain age i don't want a huge amount of time to go by without and so for instance i'm now getting my mom to come to me for she's coming for the extended saint patrick's weekend so she she's going to come and like i don't think that i would have said that a couple of years ago yeah you know
3: Yeah, it's definitely food for thought anyway, isn't it? (laughs) Fionn Davenport, travel writer. Fionn Davenport, thank you so much for joining us and explaining what 3G family holidays are. An eight-part series known as the Ballycotton Sessions will air on RTE 2.0 Thursday night starting tonight at 11pm and it's a music show that's presented by Louise Duffy and it features the likes of The Academic, Robert Grace, Damien Dempsey, Wallace Bird, Jack L and The Coronas and it's in the beautiful setting of Ballycotton and joining me now is John Kidney who's manager of the Sea Church in Ballycotton. Good morning John. Hello is John there? We might come back to John there in a few minutes. It's just the show, as I said. Um, it's based in Ballycotton in the Sea Church, and the Sea Church is. Um, I've been dying to go to this. I've actually seen it on social media a couple of times, and it looks f- fantastic venue to have uh, intimate gigs, I suppose. And it's um, it's an old church. It's the St Coleman's Church of Ireland that was built in eighteen thirty five in Ballycotton, and in twenty eighteen um, it was done up, and it's now um, a, a beautiful setting for uh, gigs like this. And I think have we got John Kidney on the phone now? No, okay, <laughs> he's disappeared <laughs> into the ether. So yeah, it's um, it's a show that's on as I said from tonight on RTE two at eleven pm. I did see it advertised, and I must um, Sky Plus it because I don't think I'll be awake at that time. But you would be able to see it on the RTE player as well. And uh, it's have we got John? No, I, okay. Uh, we might uh, talk a little bit more about this oh, Sorry, um, just about the church St. Coleman's Church of Ireland in Ballycotton um, it, uh, it it suffered over the years due to a dwindling local Church of Ireland population and it gra- gradually fell into disuse and was finally closed and then in 2018 Ballycotton porn, uh, Piers Flynn set out to realise a dream of his own when he purchased the church from American vendors and a multi-million euro revamp began to take his Uh, diamond in the rough from decline and into restoration special care was taken in the renovation of the church and a huge amount of time, energy and passion have been dedicated over a two year restoration project and we now have that lovely sea church and if anybody is down in beautiful Ballycotton they'll be able to go and have a look at it Um, and it's great that we actually have a good news story about East Cork because we did have uh, the um, we had Owen on earlier who's from Ballycotton and he was talking about the 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 boil water notice that they have and I think John is on the line are you John good morning
17: yeah hi how are you thanks very much <laughs> typical the second the second I was about to come on the, the whole thing dropped off
3: I think I've just told everybody everything about the, the oh, sea brilliant, church
17: alright thanks for the chat bye
3: bye <laughs> The joys of live radio. Huh? <laughs> See if PJ was here he would have handled that an awful lot better. Oh, I know.
17: <laughs> <laughs> well I don't know my heart's skipped to beat anyway, so apologies about that <laughs>
3: Not at all, not at all. John, just uh, the show. Um, it must be great for you to to know that Sea Church is featuring in this show.
17: Oh, look, we're absolutely delighted. Um, myself and the boss, Pierce Finn, we sat down at the very start of last year and just set out a, a plan for the year going forward. And we decided to um, approach a couple of pr- uh, production companies in the city and see what we could do. And we got on to Michael and AV3 out in And we hit the road, yeah. And we're absolutely delighted with the end product.
3: And this um, series, it's obviously already been recorded, so yeah. all of these acts have already played. Was there an audience when they were playing, or were they just playing to an empty church and then doing an interviews with Louise Duffy?
17: You no, know, so we were um, we were quite lucky. I think we're on the week of when restrictions had slightly lifted around the start of September. Mm. So we had, I think, was it about, I think, four pods of four for each performance uh, which, is, which is nice because look there were some bands like the Coronas who hadn't played in 18 months and they had a little audience and I think there's a lot of um there's a lot of joy and happiness I think that you know people hadn't played in so long and lots of people just delighted to be at the show again you know so it was I, and I hope it comes across and I think it does come across in the show you know so yeah I'm
3: looking forward to watching it and just about uh, gigs um, are you having more gigs then are you welcoming back live audiences now.
17: Yeah, well, look, listen. If this red weather red, red warning says, <laughs> away tomorrow, we've got Mary Coughlin tomorrow evening, and we've got Donaloney and Andy Irvine on Saturday, and then we've got a little anniversary weekend or second year and next weekend with the Frank and Walters and Jerry Fish. Yeah, and yeah, we're we're going hard at it. Yeah, we've got we've we've just announced Rift Tight Movement there now for August, and we've got Aslan coming back for the fortieth tour, well, so the fortieth anniversary tour. So Fantastic. yeah, it's great to be back.
3: I'm how much of a capacity is it like how many people does it hold um seated is
17: about 125 standing is about 150
9: okay
17: yeah 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 so it's a it's a nice small intimate venue and uh it's uh it's very nice i've been told i've been told by a number of the uh performers the acoustics and everything else are very good in there so yeah it's a it's a lovely uh converted uh, uh Church. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's beautiful. It's a absolutely lovely place to be involved with.
3: And like, dear, are you finding that a lot of the audiences are local, or is word getting out there now, and you're finding people coming from all across Cork or even all across Ireland?
17: Well, yeah, I suppose that that was the aim of the show as well. You know, a little bit of <laughs> self promotion, uh, <laughs> yeah. not just for us, but for the village of Ballycotton, which is absolutely beautiful. You know, and uh, I think I think West Cork and all its beauty and everything else. Uh, Um, sometimes people forget about East Cork and it is just as beautiful and it's great to get people down, down around the area, you know.
3: That's it, and I mean, you know, we, I know that the tourism sector in particular has been hit quite hard over the last yeah. two years, so it's great to know that we have something like this in East Cork that's going to attract loads of people.
17: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and look, we have, um, we've got the Kush, the Kush by the Pier as well, uh, our other restaurant, which has just been awarded a Bib Gourmand, which is a massive achievement for Duran, Dan and James and the team, and we have um Ballycotton Sea Adventures with our lighthouse tours during the summer as well, so, mm-hmm. and then, of course, you have all the Beautiful hotels like the Gary and the Bayview and uh, Castle Martyr and everything else. So it's it's the area itself is ideal for tourism. And uh, even if you're, you know, even if you're a, a city goer and everything else and you're just looking for a nice trip away, forget about everything. It's only 30 minutes down the road, you know, so it's a nice little spot.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. So this programme then, the Ballycotton Sessions, mm-hmm. it's, um, as I said, it's airing tonight at 11pm. Will we see you in it?
17: No, thank God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've been put down as a producer, which I'm quite impressed with. So <laughs> I take that. You'll see my name at the end of it. I'm delighted with that.
3: <laughs> I suppose something like this really gets the name out there, doesn't it? And then like it attracts um, other names then to, you know, like it'll become a well-known venue then.
17: Well, yeah, that's that's our hope. Look, it's it's been a rocky enough start with COVID and everything everything else. Mm. Um, we've worked hard trying to get the names and the acts down who we have and everyone who has come down so far has really enjoyed it. Um, like kind of, I'm from a hospitality background anyway so mm. we like to look after everyone who comes down both, both acts and guests and um, yeah that's our aim you know so it's, um, it's brilliant and hopefully we can keep going.
3: And when did you open it as a music venue?
17: So it actually traded for um, 10 days before lockdown. And oh my had to shut shut shop again, yeah, which was a uh, which is a bit difficult for everyone involved. I would think uh, I came on board then in October of twenty, yeah, October twenty twenty. Yeah, and uh, we've kind of opened and closed, opened and closed, kind of kind of swayed with the the CO COVID since, you know. But uh, yeah. it's great to be back open now.
3: Yeah, that must have been hard then, like for for yourselves, and if you were only open ten days. Well yeah,
17: I I wasn't invo- I wasn't involved at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh, for, for for the owner and for the previous management company and stuff like that it must have been very difficult, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: So onwards and upwards now. <laughs>
17: yeah, onwards and upwards now and it's brilliant and look as it, look, it's a great uh I think it's a great show uh, it's mm-hmm. really well put together so credit to uh, Michael and Avi Tree and all his team and credit to Pascal Cassidy the director and of course Louise Duffy and all my staff in both Sea C- Church and Cush who, who did an, an excellent job over the, the week of the show to put it together mm-hmm. and uh, I really think it comes across in the show so look everyone watch it and tune in it'd be great thanks very much
3: fantastic I'm sure they will and hopefully I'll get down to you at some stage as well
17: oh you're more than welcome <laughs> just, just, drop me, just drop me an email we look at (laughs)
3: John lovely talking to you thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM this morning
17: Can we just talk
1: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text
2: or WhatsApp now 83 396 96 96
1: on Corks 96 FM And
3: that's it for today my thanks to Fergal and Wayne and to you for listening PJ is back tomorrow enjoy the rest of your day